Chapter 76 Eventually, Dennis got over his fright of being Thomas Butler. After all, Thomas ignored him almost completely, except to sometimes berate him for forgetting to put out his shoes. Usually, Thomas himself had left his shoes somewhere else, had forgotten where, or to insist Dennis have a glass of wine with him. The wine almost always made Dennis feel sick to his stomach, although he had come to enjoy a wee bit of bundled gin in the evenings. He drank it nonetheless. He did not need his good old da around to tell him one did not refuse to drink with the king when asked. And sometimes, usually when he was drunk, Thomas would forbid Dennis to go home, but insist that he spend the night in Thomas' apartments instead. Dennis supposed, and rightly, that these were nights on which Thomas simply felt too lonely to bear his own solitary company. He would give long and besotted, rambling sermons on how difficult it was to be king, how he was trying to do the best job he could and to be fair, and how everyone hated him for some reason or other just the same. Thomas often wept during these sermons or laughed wildly at nothing, but usually he just fell asleep halfway through some mangled defense of one tax or another. Sometimes he staggered off to his bed and Dennis could sleep on the couch. More often... Thomas fell asleep or passed out on the couch, and Dennis made his uncomfortable bed on the cooling hearth. It was perhaps the strangest existence any king's butler had ever known, but of course it seemed normal enough to Dennis because it was all he had ever known. Thomas mostly ignored him was one thing. Flag ignoring him was another, even more important thing. Flag had, in fact, entirely dismissed Dennis' part in the scheme to send Peter to the needle. Dennis had been no more than a tool to him, a tool which had served its purpose and could be put aside. If he had thought of Dennis, it would have seemed to him that the tool had been well rewarded. Dennis was the king's butler, after all. But on an early winter's night in the year when Peter was 21 and Thomas 16, the night when Peter's thin rope was finally nearing completion, Dennis saw something which changed everything. And it is the thing Dennis saw that cold night that I must begin to narrate the final events of my tale. Chapter 77 It was a night much like those during that terrible time just before and after Rowan's death. The wind shrieked out of a black sky and moaned in the alleys of Delane. Frost lay thick in the pastures of the inner baronies on the cobblestones of the castle city. At first, a three-quarters moon chased in and out of the rushing clouds. But by midnight... The clouds had thickened enough to obscure the moon completely, and by two in the morning, when Thomas awoke Dennis by rattling the latch of the door between his sitting room and the corridor outside, it had begun to snow. Dennis heard the rattling and sat up, grimacing at the stiffness in his back and the pins and needles in his legs. Tonight, Thomas had fallen asleep on the couch instead of lurching his way to bed, so it had been the hearth for the young butler. Now, the fire was almost completely out, the side of him which was lying closer to it felt baked, and the other side felt frozen. He looked toward the rattling sound, and for a moment, terror froze in his heart and vitals. For that one moment, he thought he saw a ghost at the door, and he almost screamed, and then he saw it was only Thomas in a white nightshirt. M my Lord King? Thomas took no notice. His eyes were wide open, but they were not looking at the latch. They were wide and dreaming. They looked straight ahead at nothing. Dennis suddenly guessed that the young king was sleepwalking. Even as Dennis decided this, Thomas seemed to realize that the reason the latch wouldn't work 
was that the bolt was still on. He drew it, and he passed out into the hall, looking more ghost-like than ever in the guttering light of the corridor sconces. There was a swirl of nightshirt him, and then he was gone on bare feet. Dennis sat stock still on the hearth for a moment, cross-legged with pins and needles forgotten, his heart thumping. Outside, the wind hurled snow against the diamond-shaped panes of sitting room window and uttered a long banshee howl. What should he do? There was only one thing, of course. The young king was his master. He must follow. Perhaps it was the wild night which had brought Rowland so vividly to Thomas' mind, but not necessarily. In fact, Thomas thought of his father a great deal. And guilt is like a sore, endlessly fascinating, and the guilty party uh-huh. feels compelled to examine it and pick at it so it never really heals. Thomas had drunk far less than usual, but strangely, he seemed drunker than ever to Thomas. His sentences had been broken and garbled, his eyes wide and staring, showing too much of the whites. This, too, was a large extent because Flag was gone. There had been rumors of a renegade nobility, Stotts among them, had been seen together in the far forest of the northern reaches of the kingdom. Flag had led a regiment of tough, battle-hardened soldiers in search of them. Thomas was always more skittish when Flag was gone. He knew it was because he had come to depend completely on the dark magician. But he had come to depend on Flag in ways he did not fully understand. Too much wine was no longer Thomas' only vice. Sleep is often denied to those with secrets. Thomas was afflicted with severe insomnia. Without knowing it, he had become addicted to Flag's sleeping potions. Flag had left a supply of the drug which Thomas when he led the soldiers north, but Flag had expected to be gone only three days, four at the most. For the last three days, Thomas had slept badly, or not at all. He felt strange, never quite awake, never quite asleep. Thoughts of his father haunted him. He seemed to hear his father's voice in the wind crying out, Why do you stare at me? Why do you stare at me so? Visions of wine, visions of flags, darkly cheerful face, visions of his father's hair catching fire. These things drove sleep away and left him wide-eyed in the long watches of the night while the rest of the castle slept. When Flag had still not returned on the eighth night, he and his soldiers were even more camped 50 miles from the castle, and Flag was in a foul mood. The only trace of the nobles they had found were the frozen hoof prints, which might have been days or weeks old. Thomas sent for Dennis. It was later that night, that eighth night, that Thomas arose from his couch and began to walk. Chapter 78 So Dennis followed his lord and master, the king, down those long, drafty stone corridors. And if you have come this far, I think you must know where Thomas the Lightbringer finished up. Late stormy night had passed into early stormy morning. No one was abroad in the corridors, at least. Dennis saw none of them. If anyone had been abroad... He or she might well have fled in the other direction, perhaps screaming, believing he or she had seen two ghosts walking, the one leading in a long white nightshirt that could easily have been mistaken for a shroud, the other followed in a plain jerkin, but with bare feet and a face pale enough to have been mistaken for the face of a corpse. Yes, I believe anyone who saw them would have fled and told long prayers before sleeping, and even many prayers might not have kept the nightmares at bay. But Thomas stopped in the middle of a corridor that Dennis had seldom been down. He opened a recessed door, which seldom 
Had Dennis even noticed? The boy king stepped into another corridor. No chambermaid passed them with an armload of sheets as she once had done with Thomas and Flagg when Flagg had brought the prince this way some years before. All good chambermaids were long since in their beds, and partway down, Thomas stopped so suddenly that Dennis almost ran into him. Thomas looked about as if to see if he had been followed, and his dreaming eyes passed directly over Dennis. Dennis' skin crawled as if as it was all he could do to keep from crying out. The sconces in this almost forgotten hallway guttered and stank foully of das oil. The light was faint and gruesome. The young butler could feel his hair trying to clump up and push out in spikes as those empty eyes, eyes like dead lamps lit only by the moon, passed over him. He was there, standing right there. But Thomas, Thomas had not seen him. To Thomas, his butler was dim. Oh, I must run, part of Dennis' mind whispered distractedly, but inside his head, that distracted little whisper was like a scream. Oh, I must run. He has died. He has died in his sleep, and I am following a walking corpse. But then he heard the voice of his da, his own dear dead da, whispering, if the time ever comes to do your first master a service, Dennis, you mustn't hesitate. A voice deeper than either told him that the time for that service had come. And Dennis, a lowly servant boy, who had changed the kingdom once by discovering a burning mouse, perhaps changed it again by holding his place in spite of the terror which froze his bones and pushed his heart into his throat. In a strange, deep voice that was nothing at all like his usual voice, but to Dennis the voice sounded weirdly familiar, Thomas said, Fourth stone up from the one at the bottom with a chip in it. Press it, quick! The habit of obedience so ingrained in Dennis that he had actually begun to move forward before realizing that Thomas, in his dream, had commanded himself in the voice of another. Thomas pushed the stone before Dennis could move, more than a single step. It slid in perhaps three inches. There was a click. Dennis' jaw dropped as part of the wall swung inward. Thomas pushed it further, and Dennis saw there was a huge secret door here. Secret doors made him think of secret panels, and secret panels had him thinking of burning mice. Again, he felt the urge to run, and he fought it down. Thomas went in. For a moment, he was only a glimmering nightshirt in the dark, a nightshirt with no one inside it. And then the stone wall closed again. The illusion was perfect. Dennis stood there, shifting from one cold bare foot to the other cold bare foot. What should he do now? Again, it was his da's voice he seemed to hear, impatient now, brooking no refusal. Follow, you paltry boy. Follow and be quick. This is the moment. Follow! But da, the dark... He seemed to feel a stinging slap, and Dennis thought hysterically, even when you're dead, you got a strong right hand, da. All right, all right, I'm going. He counted up four from the chipstone, and he pushed. The door swung about four inches inward in darkness. There was a tiny clittering, clittering sound in the awesomeness of silence at the corridor, a sound like mice might make on stone. After a moment, Dennis realized the sound was his own teeth, chattering together. Oh, da, I am so scared, he moaned. Then he followed King Thomas into the darkness.
Chapter 79 Fifty miles away, rolled in five blankets against the bitter cold and roaring wind, Flag cried out in his sleep the precise moment Dennis followed the king into the secret passageway. On a knoll not far distant, wolves howled in unison with that cry. The soldier, sleeping nearest Flag on his left, died instantly of a heart attack, dreaming that a great lion had come to gobble him up. The soldier, sleeping on Flag's right, woke up in the morning to discover he was blind. Worlds sometimes shudder and turn inside their axes, and this was such a time. Flag felt it, but he did not grasp it. The salvation of all that is good is only this. At times of great import, evil beings sometimes feel strangely blind. When the king's magician awoke in the morning, he knew that he had had a bad dream, probably from his long own forgotten past. But he did not remember what it had been. Chapter 80 The darkness inside the passage was utter and complete. The air was still and dry. In it, coming from somewhere ahead, Dennis heard a terrible, desolate sound. The king was weeping. At that sound, some of Dennis' fear left him. He felt a great wonder and a great pity for Thomas, who always seemed unhappy and who had grown fat and pimply as king, often as he pallid and shaking-handed from too much wine the night before, and his breath was usually bad. Already Thomas' legs were beginning to bow, and unless Flag was with him, he had a tendency to walk with his head down and his hair hanging in his face. Dennis felt his way forward, his hands held out in front of him, and the sound of the weeping grew closer in the dark. And then suddenly the dark was no longer complete. He heard a faint sliding noise, and then he could see Thomas faintly. He was standing at the end of the corridor, and faint amber light was coming in from two small holes in the dark. To Dennis, those holes looked strangely like floating eyes. Just as Dennis began to believe that he would be all right, that he would probably survive the strange night walk, Thomas shrieked. He shrieked so loudly it seemed his vocal cords must split open. The strength ran out of Dennis' legs and he fell to his knees, hands clasped over his mouth to stop his own screams. And now it seemed to him that this secret was filled with ghosts, ghosts like strange flapping bats that might at any moment snare themselves in his hair. Oh yes, the place seemed filled with an unquieted dead to Dennis. And perhaps it was, perhaps it was. He almost swooned, almost but not quite. Somewhere below him, he heard barking dogs, and he realized that they were above the old king's kennel. The few of Rollins' dogs still alive had never been moved outside again. They were the only living beings, beside Dennis himself, that had heard those wild shrieks. But the dogs were real, not ghosts. Dennis held on to that thought, the way a drowning man might hold on to a floating mast. A moment or two later, he realized that Thomas was not just shrieking, he was crying out words. At first, Dennis could make out only a single phrase, howled out again and again, Don't drink the wine! Don't drink the wine! Don't drink the wine! 